Let's pray, please. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for new starts and a new year. And I'm so grateful for our church and all the ways that you're moving in it and through it. And Lord, I pray that you would help me now as I share. I ask that we as one church would be united in our mission and clear in our direction for this coming year. So help us to that end, please. For I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So Vision Sunday is slightly different in that I want to I want to talk about the scriptures, then I want to talk about where I think we're headed for this coming year. But I always have Vision Sunday, the the weekend of our vestry retreat, and also the weekend following January sixth. So Epiphany is a one day feast. January sixth is always the feast of Epiphany, and then we're in the season after Epiphany, which goes all the way to Lent. So about six weeks or so, and its focus is typically on missions. And that's appropriate, because epiphany means manifestation or revealing. It's typified in the story, the account of the Magi from the East hearing of the birth of Jesus and then traveling to seek him out. And so it speaks of the goodness of our God who has come to save all people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, this is the mystery of all ages, and that is that the Gentiles are also heirs and members of the body along with the Jews. That God, uh, to quote John 3.16, loves the whole world, the whole world, everyone. And most of us in here would fall into the Gentile category unless you have Jewish roots, which is kind of rare, uh, at least in our church. So I'm grateful that this is the gospel, and I'm grateful that we're on this side of the cross, the incarnation. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't know anything about God or very little about him. So I wonder, as I start, how did they know? How did the Magi know? We don't have enough of the background to understand that. Something about their work as astrologers and their interest in the stars and the planets, God did something to get their attention. And it was more than just a little oddity. It was enough that they were willing to go on a maybe a thousand mile journey by foot for multiple months, maybe up to even two years, scholars think, and bring expensive gifts to offer as a tribute to this newborn king. So whatever it was the Lord did, it was more than just a suggestion. It really stirred in them a spiritual seeking and a hunger. But then it's interesting to note that they needed others. This seems to be the way God works, is he doesn't just come right out and say, hey, Magi, I'm sending my son Jesus. He's going to be born in a manger. He's going to grow up into a man. He's going to suffer and die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world, including yours, and deal with the wrath of God against you so that you can be reconciled to God, forgiven, and have new life, and my spirit will dwell in you and lead you. He could have, but he typically doesn't do it like that. So the Magi need something more. They get a hint. They get uh, moved in a direction. They're stirred to want God. The scholars call this prevenient grace, kind of like the word previously. So God is working in a person's life before they find him. And they think, I'm hungry for God and I'm searching for him and then I found God, only to look back and realize that's because he was stirring you from the very moment before you even realized it. He was at work. So he was stirring them up and they started seeking and then they needed others. They went to Herod, being aristocrats of some sort, whatever magi are, wise men, astrologers, kings, so they went to the king in, in the area and, of course, startled him and scared him pretty bad and stirred up the whole city. But what did he do? Then he called the scribes and the Pharisees and said, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? 
And they know the scriptures, they quote from the minor prophet Micah, Micah 5, and it's in Bethlehem is the answer. And so they, they rely on Herod and then the scribes and Pharisees, and then I suspect Mary. When they finally got there and saw the baby and worshiped him, I'm sure they didn't just, you know, give their gifts and then walk for two years back. They probably hung around a little bit, maybe even overstayed their welcome some. They wanted to get the story. You know, this obviously is an unusual birth. What, what was it like? My guess is Mary and Joseph told them all about the shepherds and the message of the angels to the shepherds, and maybe some of the things that the, that the angels had said directly to Mary before she conceived and to Joseph once he learned that his wife was pregnant and all this kind of stuff. They, they relied on others to complete the picture, to fill in the story and understand it. And once they knew, they were overflowing. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they found him. And then once they got there, they bowed down in worship and they presented gifts, generous gifts. And then they went out full of joy and were sent out, actually. They were guided by the Lord. It wasn't like they were just guided to Jesus and then it's done. No, now they were guided by God to go back to their town, but avoid Herod, to go by a different route. What if this is somewhat typical of how God works in people's lives? What if it's not just the Magi story? What if it's a pattern, and a pattern that repeats? You know, I'm going to suggest to you today that it really is. In fact, one of the reasons that we made a brand new bulletin format, by the way, you can take notes if you would like now is because we've had for years the four-fold pattern of how people interact with God in blue boxes, and nobody could see it for whatever reason. If I had to quiz you on the back of your bulletin to write out the four-fold movement of worship that's been in your bulletin for like the last six years, I'll bet very few of you could pass that quiz. So the new format is explicit, one, two, three, four. This is how people have interacted with God as long as there have been people. I mean, you can go back and look at the interaction of Moses or Abraham or a whole bunch of other things all the way through the Bible, and it typically follows some kind of a pattern like this where the people are drawn and gathered together in God's presence, and then they receive, the, they hear the word, they hear the good news, and then they respond in some kind of worship, we always do through the sacrament of Holy Communion, and then they are sent out. This is an important pattern to recognize. It, it's not just corporate worship, it's actually personal as well. I mean, you could use that as the pattern for your own devotional time. Draw away from everything else, go into your room, be quiet, just you and God, gather to God, read his word and hear what he has to say to you, respond in some way, confession, prayer, thanksgiving, writing in your journal, whatever it might be, and then listen for what he's sending you out to do having met with him and been in his presence. It's a really helpful pattern. I want us all to be formed and shaped by that because I think it's, it's the biblical pattern. Now, if this is the typical pattern, which I believe it is, then it says something for you if you're a seeker. If you fit that category of a person who has started to experience God's grace in their life and are pursuing him, and maybe you came to church this morning not sure if you should even be in church. You feel a little apprehensive about it, but you keep being drawn. You're curious. Well, what this pattern would tell you is you're not going to get the whole download from God right away. You're going to need others. So seek them out. Just like the Magi who went to Herod and then went to the scribes and Pharisees and then went to Mary and Joseph, seek out people that you think know more about Jesus than you do. 
Ask them for the story. Ask them to fill in the, the picture, complete the picture for you. Fill in the pieces that are missing. And note that there is resistance. You know, Herod didn't want this. And so he was planning to kill this baby. And, and you know, he ended up killing, probably, the scholars think, 20 to 30 infants in that little town of Bethlehem that were born in that two-year period trying to, to kill Jesus. There's resistance. There are people that don't want God. Now, you might be that seeker person, and you might share with someone who's not eager about the kingdom. It might even be your own spouse. And you, you tell them that God seems to be drawing you, and you're, you're spiritually awakened, and you, you want the kingdom. And, you're, and, then, and then they say something like, oh, don't become one of those religious fanatics. Don't be a Jesus freak. The resistance could be right there literally in your own household. So seek out somebody who is a Christian and ask them to complete the story, fill in the details, to give, your te- give you the testimony. Ask them, how do they read the Bible? Where do you even start? Now, if you're a Christian, which most of us in here are and have been walking with the Lord for a while, this pattern tells you something too. It means that there are probably people in your life that don't yet know the full story. God is drawing them. There's an opening there, and you're the one that's placed strategically to complete the story. In other words, be a little bit bolder in giving witness to God. Invite them to study the Bible with you. Pray, offer to pray for them. Ask them questions about why they think God is at work in their life. How has he stirred them? Why do they suddenly have this interest in the things of religion, whereas for the rest of their life up to this point, they've more or less been blind to it? What's going on? I'll tell you what, it will encourage you in your own relationship with God. It reminds you that God is always working. I find my own faith inspired when I hear the stories of other people that were not believers coming to faith. I'll share a testimony with you in a little bit about one of those. Actually, I'll I'll share a testimony with you right now from a story from a long time ago. A friend of mine is a pastor in a different denomination, and when he was at Fuller Seminary, he had a classmate from Ethiopia there. And this man had met Jesus in a field directly, personally. The resurrected Jesus came to him in the middle of the day in a vision and again, like the Magi, Jesus didn't give him the full, you know, the four spiritual laws or whatever that Romans wrote. He said, I want you to go over to that town, wherever, three towns away, and ask a certain man about me. So all he did was point, this was an Ethiopian man who had never heard the word Christianity or Jesus, had never heard of the Bible. He was in a completely unreached area. And Jesus showed up in a vision to him and sent him, to go find the person that was gonna tell the gospel. So he traveled over there and met this guy who was a pastor who led him to Christ, filled in the picture and prayed with him. And this man was in seminary now because the Lord had called him to ministry to lead that whole part of Ethiopia to the gospel. The interesting thing about that story is God doesn't do all the work that he could do. He relies on his people to be the witnesses. He relies on his people to tell the story. You're his people, I'm his people. So he stirs up a hunger in somebody or opens up a, a, the, the subject and then sends them to you or to me or to somebody. Now, I, I said if you're a seeker, this says something. If you're a Christian, it says something. And if you're a church, it says something too about this. We as a staff have put together a process to try to recognize that that is happening in people's life right now. All over Fleming Island and Jacksonville and all over the place. There is a spiritual wave of interest in the things of God right now. Our process that we're trying this spring is, obviously we're using Alpha again, but we've put the marriage course on the front end of it. 
There is a definite felt need for investment in marriages. People that are married realize their marriage is not as good as it could be. Even the really good ones recognize there's more. And of course, the ones that are struggling are really struggling. The marriage course is a very soft launch into the things of God. And frankly, it uses the best of worldly wisdom about marriages with a little bit of spirituality added to it. And the first and last of the marriage course are in person, but then the five weeks in between are done over Zoom from the privacy of your home. So it's very easy for somebody who is sort of open to God to sign up for the marriage course. Now, my hope is that after they do that and they realize that it's not scary or you know, a bad thing, that they will then jump into the alpha course and start asking the actual spiritual questions, not just the marriage questions. And then after that, that they will do the catechism class where they'll actually hear the answers to those questions. I want you to know that process as a church so you can use it as a tool, so you don't have to have your theology all sorted and be able to explain uh, the whole of Christianity, but we as a whole church can work together to do that. So as a church, this pattern of how God tends to work in people's life has informed how we've put together the connection God in the programs for the spring. Now, this, this wave of spiritual hunger is kind of interesting. I don't know exactly what's different, but talking with Lenny, our church planter in St. John's County, he and other friends of mine that are in ministry have all agreed that last year, it just, it was flat. It, it didn't have the same openness. And now, all of a sudden, there's an openness. Um, uh, talking to Lenny about his Christmas Eve service a year ago, I think they had 80 people, and he was encouraged they rented a hotel room at the Renaissance Hotel and did a pageant in there, and they had about 80 people. And he said, but most of them had a church. They came for the pageant, or they came to encourage him, or they weren't looking for a church home. They weren't going to join the table. They weren't seekers. This year, it was very different. The people that came didn't have a church. They were hungry spiritually. They came around wondering, is God calling me to be here? And this leads me to think, that the Lord is, is sending us more on a mission to that and less on the gathering component. Last year, my word that I felt like the Lord gave us was belonging. It was about find our people that are scattered, bring them back, build the pavilion as a centering piece, fill up the pews, invite people back, collect up the sheep, if you will, and encourage them through invitation, through hospitality. As I prayed for a word for this year, the word I got was sent. And it's one of our core values that we are sent for the sake of others. I think about Jesus in John's gospel saying to his followers, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, this doesn't mean you necessarily have to go anywhere. It's more of an inner disposition to recognize that wherever you go, you are already sent by God because he's at work there. If you, if you knew the Henry Blackaby Experiencing God Bible study, one of the tenets of Blackaby's teaching was that, that figure out where God is at work and join him there. And we know God is working everywhere. So you just have to look and you have to think, I'm on mission. Even in my own home, I'm on mission. So this year, we're gonna have that, that word of sent, sent for the sake of others. I think that there's been a very good strengthening in the past year. Um, we always have the vestry retreat this weekend. So Friday night and then Saturday, we met with the vestry and, and the new incoming uh, members of that. Last year, Christmas Eve, we had 813 people in attendance. This year, Christmas Eve, we had 1,014, so 200 more. And to my surprise, I, I still don't know what to make of this. You can tell me your opinion if you want, but the 7 o'clock contemporary service, it, it like way jumped up. It had 300 and, was it 359 people. 
The prior year it had 100 less than that. I, I don't know, I don't know what to make of it, but I thought maybe the cold weather will cause people to want to come earlier instead of it being really late. But then the late service had 275 people at it, so it was just, it was good. Giving was strong, a record giving. So I told you going into the last two months of the year, we were in the red. We were in the red a lot. Like, I think it was, it was 42,000, we were in the red. And we made that up, finished in the black, and cleared uh, 39,000 above that. Praise God for his generosity, and I thank you for yours. I asked you to help us finish strong, and you did that. The vestry voted yesterday to take 20 grand of that and immediately apply it to the mortgage. And then we're praying this week about what to do with the rest of it. How do we, how do we in, in light of the word sent, and I'm, uh, that sent for the sake of others, what are we called to do with that strength? Now, paying down the mortgage is not an inward thing. It's actually a missional thing. We are in striking distance of being debt-free. We're down to 2.2 million. We've got a very good interest rate, and the whole thing is gonna be gone in like, I think it's, we go to a, an adjustable rate in five more years, and then we have three years after that, and it's done, but I'm hoping we don't see the adjustable rate at all. I think we can do it. People of their own initiative brought $54,000 to the principal of our debt this year. That's above the normal giving. They just wrote a check that said debt reduction. So if that was you, thank you. You're compounding the interest, as you know, paying down that debt. Now, here's why I say this is missional. We have $380,000 a year going to our mortgage. If our mortgage is gone, we have $380,000 a year to invest in kingdom initiatives, to plant churches, to raise up leaders, to strengthen churches, to send people to the ends of the earth. Our, missions, our global missions committee raised the budget to a new level. It's 6% of everything that comes in is gonna go to global missions. It's $109,000. Our overall giving, we're, we're, we budgeted to give away 13% of everything that comes in. You're aware of the tithe. The idea of a biblical tithe is a tenth, 10%. And we encourage people that are members to tithe to the church. But that's a starting point. It's not the limit. It's a beginning point, And that's why we talk about tithes and then offerings. So to go above that, beyond that, as a church, we're trying to get that up. Once the mortgage is gone, we can get that percentage way higher and give way more and strengthen the mission. Our, our new uh, bishop, Alex, has changed the configuration of our diocese. As you may know, I was the dean of the Northeast Deanery, which basically went from Savannah to Gainesville, and we had a lot of churches in the Jacksonville area. By the way, that's why I'm called the Very Reverend, if you want to know Anglican stuff, is because I'm the bishop, one of his deans, I get a weird title, uh, the Very Reverend. But um, he cha Alex changed it, and, and he made me the dean of the Southern Deanery now, and he's redrawn the lines. It's the Duval County line down to Key West. That's the deanery. You think we need more? There's 10 Anglican churches right now in that. We're by far the biggest of it. What a wide-open mission field. How do we leverage the strength of this church to reach people that don't know the gospel, people that are already being stirred up to seek and are waiting for somebody to just fill in the picture for them, to just tell them what Jesus has done for them and how God loves them. That's our, that's our challenge, that's our, our call. So there's so many more things I wanna tell you about. Let me, let me do this, let me, I, I mentioned globally, we're investing more, we're giving 6%, it's $109,600 to global missions. The bulk of that's going through Chris Starr, Brent McHugh and Kim's ministry, and then the, the partnership with the church in India, and then there are a number of other things. In the connection guide, you'll see the list of all those global missions as well as the local ones. 
and we're giving 1.5% to the local missions that are happening. More regionally, the Table St. John's, where Lenny is, is increasing their budget. They've hired a worship leader. They're starting to build out their staff. More people are coming. They're getting ready to rent a school. They meet on the first and third Sundays at the Trailmar Community Center, but it's outdoors. It's covered, but it's outdoors. And then they meet in homes intervening Sundays, and people are coming. Lenny told me this story uh, from a week and a half ago. A guy gave his life to Christ. And this is a single dad with two kids. The kids were coming to their outdoor services because there were other kids there, and they liked it. The dad was coming because the kids liked it. On the Easter service, Lenny preached, and a stirring started inside this man, and he was starting to seek, and he was hearing good things, and he kept coming around. And at one point, he had a shoulder injury, and Lenny, like our prayer ministry does here, said, well, let me pray for you, and laid hands on his shoulder and prayed for healing of the shoulder. I think he, Lenny thinks it was the first time anyone has ever directly, personally prayed for this man in his life. I think he's 39. He's something like 30, late 30s, maybe at 40. And he was fairly composed on the outside, but later told Lenny that on the inside, he was shaking and jumping, is what he's, his words. I, I said it was the, like the power of the Holy Spirit going through him. I forgot to ask if the shoulder got healed because, frankly, it doesn't matter. It led to him giving his life to Christ last week. He actually prayed to become a Christian. And I want to note that a lot of times churches like ours, they grow by transfer growth, what somebody has called the circulation of the saints. People shift around churches. The, the pandemic was like, you know, upset the, the fruit basket and, every, and, every, and it settled back out. And some of our people are in different churches and some people, are whatever. What happened at the table church last week was a net gain to the kingdom of God by one. There is one new soul for eternity in the kingdom of God because of that. And that's just one story. I could tell you others. We have stories from Dan up in Portland, too, and what's happening in New England. This is super exciting. So we've got a lot of opportunity and an openness, and this wave is happening. Lenny's saying, I don't have enough laborers. There are all kinds of spiritual conversations happening, and Lenny can't be the one going and harvesting each one. So he's trying to build out a team. And I'm saying, Lenny, how do we help? What can we send? What do you need? Pray about it. Let's think about it. Let's dream. I said, Lenny, if somebody offered you 50 grand right now, what would you do with it? And I don't think he's used to thinking in those terms yet, so he's praying on that one. I said, what if it was 100 grand? What if someone gave you half a million dollars? What would you do with that? Right? The kingdom of God is big, and God loves people, and there's this huge opportunity, so we're praying about that. Now, locally here, and this will be my last point, locally here, I want to encourage you to use the process that we've set in place, the marriage course, the alpha course, and the catechism course, to share the gospel with people in your life. Who might be stirred up right now by God to come into the kingdom, and they just need somebody to close the deal, if you will, to tell your testimony, to point them toward Jesus in the Bible and invite them to pray and then come into the, the patterns that we've put in place, the pathway, if you will, into the kingdom. Pray for God to do that. But as a church, the word I think God has given us is to, to be a people on mission again, to focus on being sent as Jesus was sent to us. He's sending us to this world. There's an openness. And we've gotten strong and have abundance internally for the sake of others. We are sent for the sake of others. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these testimonies of your goodness. There are so many more I'd love to share. I thank you for the strength of this church, and I pray that you would lead not just me as the pastor, but each one of us as your members to seek your face, to, to listen for your voice. 
and that you, as you guided those magi around the pitfall of Herod and back to their home with good news, I pray that you would guide each one of us in this coming year. I pray that your kingdom would advance here. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.